Hi, thank you for joining us for episode two of the Grand Hill Chronicles podcast. I am Don Bishop, author of the Grand Hill Chronicles. As of recording this, May 4th, 2020, by the way, happy Star Wars Day and may the 4th be with you. The Grand Hill Chronicles podcast can be found on our Facebook page, our YouTube channel, and most major podcast sources. Spotify and iHeartRadio have a bit slower approval process, but uh, we'll be there soon. This podcast follows a fantasy story narration and the creative process behind that story. I will read to you a segment of our story, and then we'll have a discussion about the story itself or the creation process in general. Today's discussion is a conversation between my cousin Sam Bishop and me, which was recorded on April 16th, 2020. And uh, our discussion will be critiquing today's story segment and loosely discussing uh, some details of government found in the fictional countries Grand Hill and Aeschylus, which both have some form of constitutional monarchy. Now, although I hope to publish a physical book at some point, uh, or a series of books, the Grand Hill Chronicles in its current written form is a web novel, a term I use to reflect uh, web comics somewhat. Um, it is live on the web and free to read at www.thorn.link. That's T H O R N dot L I N K. Also, like most web comics I have encountered, this story is not finished. And like any unpublished book, I will make changes moving forward. Case in point, Today's discussion critiques a couple of points to fix in today's story segment. One particular word, for example, one particular word in question has already been changed on the website. Despite its flaws, I hope you enjoy today's narration. Prologue, Part 2. Beginning. Grand Hill, 247-10400. Go, King Domito said. Help him on his way, honored sageman, and hurry. He must not be followed. Riedel bowed his head in acknowledgement, then nodded expectantly towards Solmi. Solmi gathered the four babes' weapons and followed Riedel out the door. Riedel and Solmi made their way to the main square of Grendhill. They traveled in stealth, as their mission was a vital one and the kingdom could not afford for it to be compromised. Though they appeared to be unescorted, a nondescript pair out for a stroll. Ignoring Riedel's oddly shaped bag, they both knew that the most elite royal guardsmen preceded and trailed them from a distance. I take it I already know your destination, whispered Riedel. Solmi nodded. I believe so. I travel with... Solmi paused as he made his word choice carefully. I travel with my goods to a vacation destination. My friend uh, has a cabin I travel to now and has handed me some items on loan to the locals. I take them their toys and they'll put me up for a few days. Yes, the earthy cabin. Very good to know that I can get you where you are going. They reached the city square at the very center of Grand Hill. They paused in the shadows of the alley where they stood at the edge of the square. Riedel threw back his hood. It may look suspicious if people approach the Thalinros without a sageman to take them anywhere. Solmi left his hood up. A traveler's business was his own, 
and he would not look out of the ordinary. The pair strode forward confidently into the square towards the Thalinros. If watchers saw them now, it was all but too late to intercept the pair anyway. Assuming onlookers recognized Solmi. Assuming they guessed his mission. Riedel would doubtless be recognized, being one of the few sagemen in the land. But Solmi would be lesser known. In fact, his task would sooner be guessed correctly than his identity. He carried precious cargo, and the whole country must know Mifala Farella would have been due. Riedel's appearance at the Thalinrose with a figure carrying a closed package would be as good as a tacit annunciation of the royal birth. The official announcement would be called from the rooftops the next day. It must remain private news until the newest royal arms were secured. Still, Riedel escorted travelers often enough. Perhaps nobody would take note. To compensate for the inevitable loss of obscurity, the guardsmen had moved closer, in easy sight now. Any watchers who decided to do anything to either Riedel or Solmi would have to reckon with a couple dozen well-trained soldiers wielding matchless weapons that could not be broken. A discouraging prospect. The people in the square were somewhat sparse, going about their eating routines of winding down their business for the day. They hardly glanced as the pair of travelers stepped into the square towards the Thalinros. As Riedel and Solmi neared the platform, Solmi threw his hood off as well. The people would know at this point what Solmi was doing, and they knew that he needed Riedel's help to do it. They hadn't known it would be right now, and the guards around the square made trying to interfere pointless. Many people must have wondered where Solmi was going. It had been this way for hundreds of years, but people could not help talking about it. Oh, the weapons must be kept safe for their rightful wielders, some said. We're just curious about where they're kept, others would reply. It must be a secret for our protection, they were reminded. Besides, they could be going anywhere right now, so it's no use wondering. We just want to know, the conversations always ended. Riedel and Solmi reached the Thalinrose, unwarned despite centuries of use as a step, a pedestal, a soapbox, a stool. They stepped onto the uneven surface of the flower shape. Dulo, uttered Riedel, locking everyone else out. The din of the square immediately dropped in volume. Right, so you have your bag of weapons? They're all here. And you're going to the cave on Harval? Yes. Good, very good. I have business to attend to here, so I will not meet you at the other end. Is anybody meeting you? No. Nobody there knows I'm coming right now. So with my hood up, Solmi threw his hood back on. I'll just be an anonymous traveler. Solmi stooped over, ready to display a false gate when he would arrive at the other end. Riedel sent him off on his way. Dulo miti harval niti pondere. Weapons arrive in Hevlar. Solmi found himself shooting up, 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 faster than he could have imagined if he had never taken the Thalinrose off-world before. Knowing he would find himself in the same pose he held before he was launched, he looked around and enjoyed the ride. As before, he could only see ahead of him. He could not watch Grendhill disappear behind him. He felt comfortably warm, although all was blackness and stars around him. The stars accelerated as they moved past in a rush of white dots. Solmi remembered his first time off the Thalinrose, how startling all this was, and how disorienting it was that he could not see where he was just a moment before. 
He looked back as he thought of this and felt like he was falling in pure darkness, since that was all he could see. Solmi turned his head forward again and thought about his destination. Harval was not so foreign to Tassalans like himself. It was markedly hillier and a little less colorful, but otherwise not strange in appearance. It had grass, trees, stone, rivers, wind, and clouds in a rather blue sky. The sky was a little paler than it usually was in Grendhill, but it wasn't unpleasant. Solmi noticed the stars begin to decelerate almost imperceptibly. One star straight ahead of him began to grow brighter and larger as he drew closer to it. Then the star moved a little to the left as his path turned. Looking at it, his view included some of the void behind him. Rather than utter blackness, it was now filled with dark points of red. Almost dizzy from the stark difference between the bright light and the dim redness behind him, he looked forward and determined not to look back again. He found himself nearing Harval, a large rock in space, of which he could only see a sliver on the left side facing the growing star. As he came closer to the celestial body, he felt as if he were accelerating towards it. Whether this was true, or only an effect of coming in so close to it, he did not know. Coming in close enough that Harval took up most of his field of view, he was whipped around the bright side of the curved surface and had to squint. The sunlight reflected off the planet nearly blinded him after the infinite blackness he had faced. How blue the water looked! It never looked so blue when he visited the seaside on Harval in his boyhood. Come to think of it, he thought as he looked up. The sun looked a little green while he rode the effect of the Thalon Rose. And suddenly he saw the ground coming up. A world popped into place around him. Solmi turned, taking his bearings, as soon as he found himself in his slumped position with his hood on. The fascendias under his feet felt solid and smooth, similar to the Thalon Rose, though it bore a different design. Solmi didn't know yet what would face him in Hevlar. He stepped off the fascendias, thinking about his situation. Though it was likely that somebody in town knew the Ferellas were expecting, it was not likely that they knew it was exactly today, and even less likely that they would expect Solmi to show up with the royal arms in their city. Still, it was feasible that if somebody did guess, that they would wait at the edge of the square day after day and watch for him. Besides, it was always a good idea to protect oneself when he had no idea what might be currently happening in Hevlar, especially because he had to appear in the middle of it without being able to see it first. Solmi continued to look about surreptitiously as he walked out of the square. It was nearly empty. It was early morning here, it looked. Or late evening. He took out his compass. He turned towards the lighter part of the sky, then looked at the needle of the compass. It pointed towards his right. So I'm looking west, he thought. Navigation was complicated in different worlds. Sun in the west? So it's early morning in Hevlar. A few minutes will bring full daylight. Time to move quickly. Solmi stepped lightly off the fascendias. With soft footfalls, he padded through the city. Up hills, down, between them. As he walked, hood still on, he noticed the thatched rooftops distinguishing themselves in golden hue, while the tiled ones calmly responded in a reddish-brown. This accented the clean, smooth gray stone that comprised most of the homes and shops he passed. As Solmi neared his destination, he heard Havlar waking up. Cox continued to crow, a familiar cry, in odd tones. 
He remembered the different breeds of animals the people kept on Harval. Some were familiar types in different varieties. Others were new and strange types entirely. They had very large chickens here, as well as some very small dogs. Toludos barked alarm at the large birds in the distance. Solmi approached the door of a large house. Hoping that he was not rousing them, but that they were awake already inside, he knocked. All right, that's all we're going to read today. If you're dying to know more story, you can either wait for the next episode of the podcast, or you can jump onto the website thorn.link and read ahead. Before we continue on to today's discussion, it's time for our sponsor insert. Contact us if you want to get your word out to our listeners in this portion of the show. For today's sponsor segment, I want to do two unpaid, unsolicited shoutouts. First up is this thing called NaNoWriMo. Uh, and that stands for National Novel Writing Month. The idea is uh, it's the month of November, uh, so it's kind of convenient. You have the NaNo is National Novel, but there's also like November referenced, even though it's not actually. Anyway, so NaNoWriMo is National Novel Writing Month. And the idea is you write a 50,000 word novel during the month of November. If you've ever, if you haven't ever written a novel before, 50,000 words is moderate length. It's not, not very long, and a lot of people do it. Uh, you don't have to make it pretty. Uh, it, you're not supposed to like make this perfectly sculpted artwork. Uh, you just get it out. Get it out, get it on paper, or get it into the computer. And editing is for December. Just during those 30 days of November, you write, write, write. And uh, this novel, the, the Grand Hill Chronicles, actually started as a NaNoWriMo novel in uh, 2010. It was a little while ago, life has kept me busy, and now I'm like getting cracking on it. But obviously I, I didn't win, um, but you, you can participate year after year. Don't be down on yourself if you don't win, if you don't finish your 50,000 words in November. Uh, a lot of people go ahead and finish up in December, and it's, it's no big deal. Like. It's just a nice accomplishment if you do. And I never did win, but I'm doing this now. They also have activities in the off season. So go to nanorimo.org. That's N-A-N-O-W-R-I-M-O dot O-R-G. And you can sign up, you can track your progress, you can connect with other writers. It's pretty cool stuff. Uh, so jump into NanoRimo and have some fun with it. For my second shout-out, I actually am paying this person, but I want to give a shout-out to an artist who is currently working on some sketch portraits for some of my characters. I found her on DeviantArt as Lil Neen, L-I-L-N-E-E-N, because I liked the style of a couple of sketches that she had there. Uh, also, she is on Instagram as at a girl finally, that's a underscore girl underscore finally, and she takes commissions, and I, I'm liking... Like, you can, you can jump on my Instagram and, and see the preliminary sketches she's done so far. And I'm really excited to have this completed. She takes commissions. Give her some business. And now for today's discussion. And that's 1.1 and 1.2. Nice, uh, boring, awkward... Maybe I don't know. What are your What are your thoughts, Sam? Well, uh, you definitely are a good narrator. Um, well, thanks. 
let's see, I I would think of it very much the same way as I thought about it when I first read it, because I remember reading it. What about you? Do you have any thoughts? Um, I certainly did think some things were awkward, and there were, there were minor edits, like I misused the word comprise. A lot of people do. Comprise is like surrounding, or like if you imagine hugging, the thing that is hugging is doing the comprising, and the things that are being hugged are composing the thing that comprises. So I, I talked about stones comprising the houses. That's that's incorrect. The houses are composed of stone. And so the houses, construction materials comprise stone and thatch and tile, etc. Anyway, so, I mean, yeah, a little uh, grammar problem. But otherwise, uh, I thought I thought 1.1 was really stale. So, like, this, the it starts off, go, King Domito said. Help him on his way, honored sagement, and hurry. He must not be followed. It just sounds kind of stiff. And okay. maybe there are times for speech like that, but this isn't any ceremony. It's just like, the dude's talking to his advisor, so he's going to have some amount of professionalism, but he's not going to be stiff, right? And then there's a tiny plot hole, because the king tells the sageman to help Solmi on his way, as if... This, as if the sageman wouldn't know exactly what's going on right now. But then they get outside, and Riedel says, I, I take it I know where you're going. And Solomon's like, yeah, you know, they're, they're talking, like, surreptitiously. But at this point, Riedel knows exactly what's going on. Especially if you consider the prologue, where I don't spell it out right here in the prologue. I do spell it out later. So in the prologue, as each child is born, I say, like, Domeyer came first a a boy wielding a sword inclined to become noble and wise. You know, it's those impressions that I've talked about. The impressions that a sageman can, or a sage woman can read of a newborn's potential personality when they're older. And so Riedel has already seen the babies. Riedel knows that they've been born. And now he's taking the king's best childhood friend on this secret mission, he knows exactly what's going on. Even if he didn't leave the birthing chamber with Riedel with the weapons in the bag, you know, maybe he he read the impressions of the children, and then he had to go do something else. And then a little while later, Solmi was ready, and he's carrying this bag. Riedel knows what's going on. So a tiny little plot hole to fix, I guess. And then in one dot four. We've got Zulfanael and her baby, and it says a sage woman had been present for the birth, and then it talks about a sage's impressions. So, I mean, if you tie the prologue and 1.4 together, then you see that there's... You you see that in 1.1 there's a bit of a plot hole because Riedel had to have been there at the birth. I talk a lot. It's your turn. Okay, so I'm looking at the outline of this on the website and I was thinking that you might want to put these sections these early sections with the prologue because yeah it's it's like you know this chapter one starts out many years before the rest of the sections the yeah I agree I was thinking the same thing and I don't remember why I did that so I've got this this chapter one thing going on it's it's kind of so let's think about this in in chapter one we have the babies are born the weapons are carried off we skip over to an 
unknown place, and we have Zilfanael. Oh, it's it's not such an unknown place. It says right there at the top of the page, Esclis. But then it says Grendhill also. That's a mistake because this is not in Grendhill. It's in Esclis. And there's this mysterious thing where the timestamp has a T. I really need to get back and and make sense of these timestamps and either always include them or never include them. Or maybe include them at the start of every chapter, but, you know, be consistent. So we've got Minda is born in Aeschylus, and then chapter two. So what's what's in the prologue? Why is it different? So prologue is right. Okay, weird. So prologue is background plus the actual birth of the quintuplets. So I should probably just absorb chapter one into the prologue. You think? Well, yeah, the, the first part of it, because it's dealing with the kids when they're babies. Right. And you say per, the first part of it, but from what I see, all of chapter one is their, their babies. Oh, is it all like that? The last the last segment of chapter one is different is a different location. Uh, it's Zophanael and her baby that she names Mindayo. And yeah, and then we go into chapter two and what do we have? We have the kids are pretty much grown up. So, yeah, it makes no sense, this chapter one not being the prologue. What else? What other thoughts do we have about this 1.1, 1.2? I guess we've exhausted that for now. I would like to rewrite it. I'm not going to do it soon because I want to keep pushing forward with any chance that I get to write. I want to write new stuff. But sooner or later, I'm going to have to rewrite this and and make it more interesting from the get-go. Okay. But, hey, do you have time for a discussion topic from our list? Which one? Well, how about the form of governments for certain key nations? Okay. So, in um, because this is stuff that I've got to decide and figure out. And in both Grendhill and in Aeschylus, we have some kind of monarchy offset a little bit by a council. And we can read about this in, let me see, in, in 1.4 we have no mention of a council. So 1.4 doesn't influence that at all. There's just King Ogfi doing what he wants. So it's going to be somewhere in chapter 2 where we, we see Ogfi being frustrated with the council. So, I mean, what, what kind of council, what kind of government do we want? I want to have some similar type of government between Aeschylus and Grendhill. Indrania could be like totally different. Hevlar could be totally different. Most importantly, I need to figure out Grendhill and Aeschylus and then lastly Indrania. Yeah, I need to figure out the balance of power in Grendhill and Aeschylus specifically. Well, maybe on what we've called the Blue Worlds, they could have very similar forms of government with kings and queens and their councils. And it doesn't even have to be uniform. But knowing what we know about the relationship between Grand Hill and Aeschylus, I see them having similar forms of government. Maybe not. So in Grand Hill, there's a king and queen and a council. In Aeschylus, there's a king and queen and a council. So let's go back into, into history before the story begins, like generations before. Grand Hill is founded and it's Gren himself was the man. And he lived in one of these these villages. There were three villages. They were near each other. And then there was some catastrophe, some crisis where they were all in danger, maybe invaders. I don't know. But Gren, like, kind of saved the day. 
And so these villagers from the three towns got together and like, hey, we see what Gren can do. We want him to help us with more things. So let's make him our king, yada, yada. And so Gren was crowned. And the center of the three towns was where the Thalinros was. They built their city around it, and that's Grend Hill. It was Grens Hill. And if we put ourselves in that situation, and we're there creating this new city-state with the combination of the three towns, then I think there's going to be, I don't know, each town is going to want some representation, right? Yeah. So that world that Grend Hill is on is called Tassala, right? Yes. Okay. So... I mean, every every city or town could have its own monarch, but, you know, maybe they occasionally gather together if needed and have a large council, large united council. Uh-huh. Well, I'm thinking specifically about Grendhill's situation here, where they there were three these three separate towns that united politically permanently, and they grew together into one city called Grendhill. And in order to some of their own autonomy, each village had their own interests at the beginning. And so I think we have I want to say quarters, but they're not quarters; they're thirds. But we have like boroughs where there's this part of town, there's that part of town, there's that part of town, corresponding to these original three towns. And so each borough or each, I don't know, each region, region is too big a word, but each each portion has their own has their own council and then they have um, they have a council leader or, or a few members of council leadership that join the king's council. Okay. I just think it's, it's, it's more interesting of a story if, um, if people work together. You know, you have this person's input, you have that person's input. And it's a little bit more cliche if it's just the king doing what he wants because he's the king. So the king has powers. Uh, The king has certain gubernatorial powers, governmental powers, but some things he needs to bounce off of his council. And the council has some independence, but some things they cannot do without the king. So let's say the king controls the city guard. Okay. Ooh, what what if he doesn't? Not directly, at least. So the king controls the royal guard, which includes the palace guard and each borough guard. I'm going to have to figure out a different word. That's not the right word. I'm going to call it township, even though they're not independent towns anymore. So each township guard does rotations in the city guard. So there's... I'm confusing myself now. Okay. So city guard, that's all of them together. It comprises... Aha, I use it correctly. It comprises the palace guard and... Oh, I get it. I get it. So City Guard, City Guard is all of it together, and they have, like, the way they do things, but operationally, like, who whose direction they're under right now is distinguished as follows. So there's a City Guard, that's all of them. That's the entire, like, um, military force of Grendhill. It comprises the Palace Guard, which is under the direct command of the king, well, through his, through his guard captain. The Palace Guard, direct command of king, the... Slow down there, Don. Okay, so the city guard. Take it really slow here so Don can understand. The city guard has a total of four components. There's the royal guard and the three township guards. Does that make sense, Sam? Okay. The royal guard comprises the palace guard and three township guard rotations. 
contributions. So each township guard has two portions. One is under its own command and one is under the command of the royal guard and they do rotations. So because it's it's one nation. The king commands the royal guard. The city guard is under the control of the council when needed. The council and the king. So if you if something like if if we're like full out going to war, then the council and the king need to agree. The council has portions from each township. Each township guard is under control of some some word for whoever leads the township. Maybe it's the mayor, the scion, the steward, whatever. And that balance is within the township is going to have its own council so that even each township guard is not solely under the township's control. Okay, I'm satisfied that's enough detail for the military force right now. Um, what else? What about, I mean, maybe that's all I need for, for the story I'm doing. Now, I thought of a good idea. What's that? So you could have these offices be descended from ancient colonization ranks. Like uh, the king is descended from the commander of a colony group that uh, went to Tassala. The the sage is descended from the, the scientist of the group. You know what I'm saying? Let's modify that and this is Aeschylus now. Because you're talking about the king being descended from somebody important and in Grendhill that's not what's going on because Gren was a ho-hum nobody until like he stepped forward and, and saved his town and the other two towns nearby from whatever crisis it was. I don't know. But when Aeschylus was founded as a branch off of Grendhill, then Prince Ogfi, you know, he felt important and he called himself the king of Aeschylus. And, and so now, so we do have that. We have the king is descended from the commander of this contingent. And I maybe I should go ahead and decide why Ogfi split, but that's a whole nother conversation, I think. I think I'll put that in our list. Why did Ogfi split? Okay, and uh, let's see. Aeschylus, let me get it straight. Is that the world that the, the children's weapons were hit on? No, that's Harval. Okay, that's right. Aeschylus is where the, the villain is. Yes. Okay. But I've already determined that it's not an absolute monarchy. So the king's power is offset by the council. We can even look at and see kind of what he has to consult with his council for, because that is mentioned somewhat a little bit already. So here we are in in 3.3. Minda mentions that her father has been spending a lot of time meeting with foreigners. Keep saying the council will listen to his ideas, but he needs to develop them first. The council hasn't been pulled too far his way. The council, he has the council's ear. But for what? You know, to accomplish what? Council, look down his nose at the council, sensible heads. But what's the struggle? I don't remember what the struggle is. Okay, so here's a scene between King Ogfi and his council. Council. So he's arguing, he says, we must leverage now, we must not stand by, let this opportunity pass. Council stared back at Ogfi. The council, okay, so and Ogfi yells at the council for being so concerned with commerce. And he talks about the rangers. Uh, Aeschylus has, a, has some military force called the rangers. Council, the council worries a lot about commerce. So I think there's probably going to be some nobles because they've ha- they have their hands in business, right? So I'm I'm seeing some forming some differences 
forming here, whereas Grendhill is more representative because we had the three towns and each town now is represented in the kingdom of Grendhill, whereas in Aeschylus, they split off and they, they have a king and a council, but the council was probably made up, the original council of Aeschylus was probably made up of Prince Haltrin's cronies. So it's going to be like nobles with their hands in business. Are you following? Okay, yeah. So they care a lot about commerce because they care a lot about profits. Whereas the king cares more about strength and might because I mean that's how it started out where Haltrin wanted power and his followers thought it would be advantageous to them yeah and now Ogfi's talking about gathering his ranger guard so I think I think I think the rangers are the larger military force and then there's the king's ranger guard and they they respond to him the rest of the ranger force answers to the council you follow okay do you have any thoughts is anything dumb do we need to insert anything or modify anything no what would you think they would do in regards to foreign policy? So they went a long time in isolation and then they, they discover the Red Branch and now they have these contacts. They have different nations to trade with, but that's a new development in their country. Yeah. So when that development occurs, who gets who gets the power over it? I think everyone's going to want their hands in it. But the, So if we have a king that's, that's more concerned with might and security, I guess probably also, and we have a council that's concerned with business, but they're secluded, you know, and they've they've been doing their own mini colonizing and, and stretching out in the land where they live, but now they have new people to get in contact with. So who discovers this? Is it somebody loyal to the king? Is it somebody loyal to the council? Is it just some dude discovers the other platform and, and now they have contact with other worlds and now they have this hullabaloo where there's a power struggle between the king and the council. Who wins that struggle? I think, I don't know, what do you think? Uh, about their interactions with the red worlds? Yeah. Well, I was thinking it was, it might work out good to have the, this world being backed up by the red worlds. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, yeah, and that, that's what I have said before. Okay. But as far as kind of the, the background behind them getting to that point, so what I'm what I'm thinking right now is we've got King Ogfi, because this happens in his lifetime. And probably if if he's not on the throne yet, it happens not too long before he is on the throne, when they discover the red worlds. And so now we have this this whole new thing, this whole new factor that did not exist of foreign trade and foreign diplomacy. So I think they're probably just going to draw it right down the middle. So the king deals with foreign governments and the council deals with, with commerce like they do. So they deal with foreign merchants and there's going to be some, some confusion and struggle where those two cross, you know, where, I don't know, maybe they come across a weapons dealer and the king's like, oh, oh no, I control the weapons. And where some government wants to make, wants to make sales contracts and the merchants like no 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 we'll do with we deal with the business so there's going to be some spillover and some disagreement and that's fine i can deal with that that makes it more interesting actually now indrania what do we think about Indrania? The moon rotating around, revolving around a gas giant with eight-hour days. Not eight-hour daylight. Eight-hour day-night cycles instead of 24-hour. Eight-hour eight hour day-night cycles. Okay, and Indrania is... Who lives on Indrania again? The people backing up Aeschylus okay. in their threats against Grendhill. I'm picturing Indrania to be more cultish, where they're going to have a okay. a more powerful centralized leader. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I guess that's, that's good enough for now. Um, 
So it's a lot, I'm just going to write that, a lot closer to an absolute monarchy, cultish. What king wants, king gets. And right now I don't really care about the government in Hevlar. Doesn't matter to the story right now. But I think that's it. I think we're covered for today. Hi, it's still me. I have some final notes about today's discussion. I debated with myself about using this discussion recording for several reasons. First of all, it has recording quality issues, which I think I successfully massaged into forgivability, but they're still very obvious. Also, my cousin Sam and I talk a little slow, and we leave long awkward pauses, which I removed in editing, deleting silent space when nobody was talking, and I also deleted a lot of extra ums. I may have been overzealous getting rid of the white space, so I apologize if the discussion makes you feel rushed because sentences are too close together. I'm still getting the hang of both recording and editing. What I do know is I won't be putting my microphone on top of a cardboard box again. This discussion also has some out-of-date references about how the story is organized because after recording this, I went back and absorbed the former chapter 1 into the prologue as prologue part 2. So anytime today when we said 1.1 or made other references to chapter and sub-chapter numbers, you can subtract 1 to get the updated chapter number. And also, while the sub-chapters remain in the same order as before, they are no longer numbered on the website. They have been given titles instead. So if we said 4.5, then you'll look on the website and you'll find it in chapter 3 and you won't see 3.5. It'll just be the fifth segment in chapter 3. We also even talk about Prince Haltren, but we call him Ogfi at least three times. So to get things straight, Prince Haltren split from Grendhild generations ago when he felt he should have received the throne but didn't get it. He and his followers founded Aeschylus. His descendant, King Ogfi, is the current king of Aeschylus and is our principal antagonist in this book. Now, with these updates and corrections having been noted, I hope you enjoyed today's peek behind the curtain. And there it is. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to look us up on social media. You can find our channel on YouTube. Uh, search for Grand Hill Cron, short for Grand Hill Chronicles. Uh, we don't have a custom URL. Maybe someday when we have enough followers. But uh, yeah, so find us on YouTube. Follow our channel so that one day we can get a custom URL. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at Grand Hill Chronicles. You can find us on Twitter at Grand Hill Cron. On Facebook at facebook.com slash grandhillcron. You can find us on Twitch, but I, I don't know if I'm going to keep up with Twitch anymore. It's just, I don't think that's uh, the scene for this project. Um, and of course, you can find us on patreon.com slash grandhillcron. Buy me a grilled cheese because they're yummy. And uh, yeah, look us up. Send me a message. Again, you can contact us on Instagram, on, on Facebook. Those are the two biggest... Um, but if you tweet at us, I'll see your tweet, and I would love questions or your input on what you think about this show. Thank you for joining us, and we'll catch you next time on the Grand Hill Chronicles podcast.